hello and welcome to the second unit with me, Freddie and Meg. Hello. Um, today's film is Little Women, yeah. the 2019, is that right, 2019 version? Yes. Because cause there's, I think I, I went on Wikipedia just to look up Little Women 2019. I think it said there were seven... This is the seventh time it's been adapted for film. So if, 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 if we were true professionals, we'd, we'd watch all of those. And that could be quite interesting. Seven times the charm. What? <laughs> seventh time the charm. Well, you'd say that. I, I think from what I've heard, obviously I've only seen this one and then I read some stuff about it. From what I've heard, this does do it more justice than any other adaptation and almost more than the actual book it's based on itself because of the decision that Greta Gerwig made for the ending but we'll get to the ending because we'll talk through the plot first essentially this is a film about little women it's about girls becoming women um in in sort of the late 1800s yeah yeah because I think that's when it was written yeah. So I think it was just set when it was written. Um, it's funny that, isn't it? That you, this is a this is a period film. This is a period piece. Mm. But it wasn't when it was written. Crazy, huh? Time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Doctor Who, isn't it, man? <laughs> like that's just wild, isn't it? That when when this came out, that's actually what people were up to. And... I know. Doesn't it Crazy. make you feel sad? No, it makes me feel happy that I don't have to no, sit around the house full of candles and not have any Wi-Fi. I Sounds terrible. sad for the people. It's not sad. Sure, yeah, I, sad I quite for like them, yeah. having the right to vote. Um, yeah. Having basic fundamental human rights. I'm not mm. too enthused to go back to that time. No. <laughs> and that is sort of what it it, it covers. It's, it's a film very much about what it means to be a woman at that time and the sort of boundaries uh, these women, these four sisters were pushing. Mainly the main girl, Jo, played by, we just looked up how to pronounce her name, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. (laughs) Look at us because it's spelt like, it's like S and then like seven vowels. Yeah. Um, Ronan. Um... (laughs) But yeah, it's it it takes place between two times. It, it starts with her writing for the papers, um, writing little short stories and whatnot. Yeah. And it's sort of covering what her and her sisters are up to. You got her. You got Florence Pugh plays one of her other sisters who is sort of um, living off Meryl Streep's buck who's her, like, rich aunt. Um, she's going around with her as, like, a travelling companion, and she's a she's a very good painter. And then you've got Emma Watson, who's the third sister, who, uh, when she was younger, wanted to be an actress, but that seems to have not really happened, and she didn't marry rich, uh, so she's just in, like, this little sort of... I don't know, little shack. <laughs> it's not a shack. <laughs> Not doing the shack justice, but it's just not as nice as most of the other settings in this film. She married poor. Um, and the fourth 
sister we don't see until quite a bit into the film or already get to know but that's Beth uh, and she's a musicy piano player and I thought it is, it is interesting and obviously very deliberate um, that these four sisters all sort of go after some separate creative drives so you got a writer a painter an actor or, or performer slash singer possibly yeah. and a musician and it's sort of uh there are loads of stories about struggling creative people because almost every story is written by a struggling creative person That's very true. um so it's just a it's just a narrative you know people write what they know and that is what writers no um which is why the main character is a writer and it goes into that even further uh at the end but it it's it's a good sort of showing on how far you can get in all these careers and how difficult it is and especially how difficult it is for women at this time and a lot of it still rings true today in terms of you know giving up passions for for more conventional lifestyles and all that sort of thing because rights or not that is just decisions that if you want a creative profession that's really hard to get into and at some point you have to sit yourself down and go am I being foolish should I just work as a dinner lady for the rest of my life <laughs> not just that I think the, the world would stop revolving if women realised that well I guess like if every woman was like no I want to achieve their dream the world just stopped working because women are such an undervalued, reserved workforce. Sure. If that makes sense. Like, if you think about it, when, like, obviously now we're in better times, men can be stay-at-home dads too, but usually it's, like, expected Sounds that great. women will take that role. And that's a full-time job. There's no clocking off. That's of 24 hours a day. Yeah. No time for yourself. That is unpaid labour and sure having a kid's having a kid you know it's everyone's choice to tango right but um <laughs> but like it's it's so undervalued it's just expected isn't it that women take mm. over the household duties and it's completely like if you were a single man or a single father and you had the money you'd probably hire a cleaner for it but if you have a wife then you expect her to just do it without any credit or merit or you know understanding of her position so mm, definitely still happens yeah yeah absolutely i mean i feel privileged to actually be allowed an education in the country you know and i shouldn't feel yeah. that privileged that's that's the bare minimum right mm. so and it yeah because yeah. during this film uh, these girls it's it's like an option for them to go to school and one of them does go to school florence Pugh, and it's an all-girls school and it's like you know they're talking about it like it's such a new fangled idea like a girl going to school uh, women's school what do they teach there cooking and cleaning <laughs> which I, I, they probably kind of did um yeah. but it was just a very wild idea in the film that that one of these girls is actually having a proper education but it's still not up to snuff and she ends up reserved for like the middle upper classes because remember the poor yeah. classes wouldn't be able to afford the education no no um so yeah it takes place 
both seven years in the future when all these all these sisters have sort of found their own way in life and they're all separate and seven years in the past when they're all still living together at home and sort of just just having a good time really being sisters uh you got timothy chalamet um is like their neighbor if you call that a neighbor it's just like they're living in one house and across the field is another house a great big house he's a he's proper a proper well-off chap um and obviously timothy chalamet is very famous and he's in a lot of stuff um, and I thought that this film was me popping my Chalamet cherry. I don't think I'd ever seen him in anything before. I thought I'd managed to sort of accidentally weave through and dodge everything I'd seen him. He was the brother in Interstellar. He was young... Um, what's his name? Casey Affleck. I don't know if I've seen it. You haven't seen Interstellar? Oh, <laughs> season two. <laughs> Christopher Nolan being so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's not good storytelling if half your audience can't understand the story. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, Yeah, I like Interstellar. Interstellar's great. Um, Sad. Makes me cry. Um, Yes, I typically avoid films like that. (laughs) I cry quite easily. Um, But yeah, Chalamet. I thought he was great in this. Yeah. Um... I thought everyone was great in this, apart from one person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if they weren't great. So I don't know if Emma Watson is a good actor or if I'm just I unable to that. disconnect her from Hermione Granger. I feel that sometimes she... Like, I like Emma Watson. I like the stuff that she's done. She's done Perks of Being a Wallflower, Beating the mm. Beast. She's, she's hit the nail mm. quite well, but sometimes she can come across as a little bit wooden. And it's yes. it's not like that she's a bad actress as such. It's just sometimes she doesn't fully understand the assignment, I think. Yeah. It's so just like, her, yeah. her sisters are Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, her mum's Laura Dern, her aunt is Meryl Streep. Any just shudder of a of a poor wooden performance in this film was going to stand right out because everyone in this film was amazing, and yeah. she just isn't quite amazing. That's good, better than I can do. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but um, it does sort of stick out her performance, I think, which I thought was hilarious because she's the sister that wants to be an actress. <laughs> Maybe a secret little nod there. <laughs> Deliberate <laughs> sake. <laughs> but I thought... Yes, all the, other, all the other characters, all the other people are actors. Emma Watson just still wants to be an actor. <laughs> so they gave her that role. Ooh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> um, I thought Florence Pugh in this was just... I mean, she's always amazing. Mm. Whatever she acts in, she is like gonna swiftly become one of our greats of our generation. I think, I think so, yeah. She's so amazing. And so is Sir Sharon. I like Yeah. So I've only really seen her do like little bits and bobs really. Like atonement mm. she was great as a kid in, but she wasn't like Yes. The entire focus. She's been in a lot of the Anderson films as like side characters. 
Um, and I hadn't seen Ladybug. Ladybird. Ladybird. I haven't seen Ladybird, Ladybug. which is uh, Greta's I haven't seen Ladybird, predecessor yeah. with Chalamet and Ronan. Yeah. But yes, what she made before this. She's great. She's. I mean, I always think that she's an amazing actress, and I always think that she should be used more, especially in the French Dispatch that's recently come out with her, and I was disappointed that she had about two minutes of screen time. Mm. Uh, but this no, proved how well and amazing she is. She's yeah. such a talent. Everyone in that film really is a talent. No offense, Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's not that she was bad. It's just, yeah, I think she does stick out as just the worst performance in this film. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, like Head Carrier is the worst Pixies album. Still a great album. See yeah. what I mean? I see. I yeah. That's fair. It's <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. There's there's like a couple of controversies around its snubbing at the Oscars. Do you believe it yes, was snubbed or do so. you not? Well, what came out this year, or not this year, 2019? Well, I think it was the same year as Parasite, and Parasite absolutely deserved to win Best Picture. Yeah. And it was nominated for Best Picture. But there are a couple of categories that I do believe it should have been entered into. I don't think it was entered into cinematography, and the whole the whole film has this really beautiful golden hue about it. Like, well, intermittently. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Intermittently has this beautiful golden hue and then it has this really refreshing like blueness, doesn't it? Yeah. Or like white daylight. And it's it's just the perfect balance because when you feel like your eyes are starting to get tired of this arty golden hour, then boom, it refreshes you instantly. And watching it is like taking a nice cold drink. It's it's just thoroughly pleasant on the eyes to watch. Yeah, and I don't cause... think it was nominated for cinematography, and I think it should have been because it was very pretty. Yeah, because um, so the seven years later scenes, mm. they're all the sort of colder scenes, and the seven years ago scenes, they're all this golden, lovely, blah. Because seven years ago, they're all sisters; they're just having fun, living in the same house, and basically without a care in the world. And then it's the seven years later when they've had to go into the world. And they've sort of been worn down by the stresses of life. That's that why it's such of... a smart yeah. s- choice. It's, it's such a good um, cinemagraphic palette. Like, everything about it is just harmonising. It's amazing. And it just was completely snubbed, I think, for that. Because it lets your audience know the chronology of the film. Mm. It differences the time scenes, which... I mean, there's a lot of films that struggle to do that. Yeah. But... So, so the Oscars this year, or not this year, the year this came out, yeah. um, winner was 1917. Uh, um, fair. I which, did have that one good shot. <laughs> which was uh, Roger Deakins, your boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still, though. Nominated was The Irishman, oh. which... Yeah. Joker, yeah, Joker. The Lighthouse, way, yeah, like and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. But this didn't even receive a nomination. I feel no. like it deserved to be there. It fully deserved to be there. Yeah, yeah, I think 
More so than The Irishman. No offence, Scorsese, but it's the same thing you've done about five times. Rewriting <laughs> it into a new... It's just not good. Just... <laughs> oh, God, I did not like The and Irishman. And I love Scorsese films. I love Gangs of New York. I love Taxi Driver. I love that really gritty, gritty, um, slightly edgy epic that he does, because they do last forever. But mm, yeah. does The Irishman deserve to be there instead of Little Women? No. She was snubbed for that hands down and mm. like she didn't get a nomination I don't think either for best director did she no she didn't and here's where I so take issue with it this. was nominated for best picture uh, Saoirse Ronan was nominated for best actress Florence Pugh was nominated for best supporting actress um, nominated for best adapted screenplay and nominated for best score uh, it did win best costume design so it does have an Oscar oh nice for the clothing one the clothing one <laughs> <laughs> ah thanks for that Oscars yeah which it was up against The Irishman again Jojo Rabbit oh, Jojo Joker Rabbit and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which meh maybe I might have given it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if I'm honest but but you're right it should it should have been in different have been nominated categories. for more one stuff that it didn't probably and um, got to think best about... adapted screenplay went to Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, that's deserved. No. Do you not think? No. I thought Jojo. Irishman, Joker, and the Two Popes nominated as well as Little Women. See, I would have given out of those ones, Little Women. Fair. I mean, I like Jojo Rabbit's screenplay because I think it is very good, but. I will agree to disagree on that. Um, but like, I think she deserved Best Director. So for viewers who don't necessarily know exactly what a director does, but just know they're the guy with the name of the film, is a director's mm. job to decide what the film looks like, who's going to be in the film, and the chemistry that's behind the camera. All of that is the director's vision. And the, mm. casting director and the chemistry was... in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah, I meant that, sorry. Um, <laughs> you you kind of are responsible for the whole team. You have people helping you, like casting directors who will say, would you like me to contact this person for an addition, this person? But ultimately it's the director who puts this ensemble together. Mm. And her ensemble was perfect. Even Emma Watson, as wooden as she was, was a good addition to it. It was a good film all round. And her vision for the film was... Magnifique. And Magnifique. To not even be nominated. Now, Parasite yeah. is an amazing film. It's just stunning in every way. There's, I did not expect half the things that happened in Parasite, which is great, because I'm usually like, oh, I reckon this is going to happen. And then it happens, mm. and I usually get hit from one of the boys saying, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so, but... Yeah, well, that's that would be more sort of screenplay, wouldn't it? Which Parasite did also win. <laughs> Yeah, but well, I suppose so, but the, I'm just comparing the two films because obviously the best director is responsible for all of these things, right? Because the director takes on the script, the director changes the script to make it as entertaining yeah. as possible. This, there are people who help him, but ultimately, or her, it's their decision. So yeah. Parasite absolutely did deserve to win, but to not even be nominated... Yeah, should be more nominations here, shouldn't there? An Oscar. It's it's just, it's really, really. And Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh should be uh, nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, not Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, because 
<laughs> What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> and and best and while we're here, best international feature film. What sort of what's, what racist segregation is that? Why do we have to separate out films that aren't in English? I know because because I mean, it doesn't make sense on its own, and it's weird and iffy that that is the case. But obviously, Parasite won best picture. Yeah. Uh, you know, the normal English-speaking category. So, of course, it also won Best International Film because wouldn't make sense for it not to, then, would it? <laughs> Weird. It's, it's really fundamentally flawed because it assumes that every Western film in Best Picture mm. is held to a more prestigious standard than yeah. international film. It's like we coddling or baby an international film are, oh, well done, you did well, but here's your own category because you mm, can't contend yeah. with the big league. And it's so unbelievably stupid. get that the Oscars are sort of, you know, Western and American and Oof. that's Wasn't where they are. But... No, he did cars. Ignore me. I don't know but... what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Oscar. Yeah. Um, but... Funny. Because <laughs> it probably was someone called Oscar. It's probably I don't know. We'll look it up and then put it in. Um, but you know the Oscars are like the de facto film awards show listing, whatever. So if if that's the status you've reached, then you don't need to do best picture and best international. You just have it as because you are the award show. So you sort of, you're past that. Yeah, but also, a film's a film. There's not much else you can do with it. It's moving picture. <laughs> Even if you can't understand the language, read. Yeah. If you can't read, audio description, dub, you know? It's not a particularly difficult concept to get over. Yeah. You know, Bong, Bong Joon-ho said this amazing quote, didn't he, where it was like, once you get over the small feet of that, like, one-inch subtitle at the bottom of your screen, something about open to endless stories and possibilities. And, like, <laughs> you guys know the quote, come on. Um, it makes perfect sense. But she was snubbed. Parasite was snubbed for just being seen as foreign. <laughs> Oscars, boycott. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it is um it's silly. It's I I stupid. I I think they're given too much weight. Apparently I, I looked on as well our absolute heaven of source Wikipedia just to see what like I guessed critics were thinking about the film. Maybe I was giving it too much like credence because as a woman I get mad when women are scorned for simply being that women. Um <laughs> How dare you have a vagina? Exactly, right? Oh my god. Um, but no, these so these psychologists writing for the Los Angeles Times said that the snub was due to a general psychological tendency to unwittingly view women's work as less creative than men's. Someone called Devon Proudfoot, what a name, and Aaron um, Kay for the Los okay. Angeles Times are social psychologists who say this. And then, yeah, it's just silly how it was snubbed. It's a beautiful film. It's well made. It's yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I gave credence to Dinosaur last week for saying it's a pretty film and prettiness can sometimes save a dying plot. Maybe not really, but it tried. 
Um, with this, it, the, the plot's great, the cast is great, the mm. cinematography's great, the screenplay's great. There's no reason for her not to be nominated. It was a snub. <laughs> yeah. It, it it does it looking at these these lists it it does seem lacking in some of them doesn't it yeah um, and like a lot of people's responses like oh well just because Greta is a woman doesn't necessarily mean that she has to win anything and I'm not saying that I'm not looking at this because she's a woman I'm saying she it should have won it because be it was good <laughs> entered I'm saying she deserves to be entered because it was a good film and she yeah. was entered because she was snubbed due to her gender. That's what I'm mm. saying. Like, people can fight me on this. I will explain exactly why she's a great director and deserved to be nominated. And people can be like, oh, it's just because she's a woman. No, it's because she's a good filmmaker. <laughs> a good filmmaker. End of. Nothing to do yeah. with her gender. Brilliant. I'd, um, <laughs> as, as far as me and Greta Gerwig <laughs> went, I'd, um, only seen one of her other films that she co-wrote and starred in uh, with uh, Noah Baumbach. Francis Ha, you ever seen that? No. Amazing film. That is another, um, uh, like we were saying about When Harry Met Sally, that's a Woody Allen film that you can watch without having to watch a Woody Allen film. It's ah. beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, really a great film. And she is absolutely hilarious in it through her and her writing and her performance great film and you do get a lot of that same comedy in this it's just very human sort of interactions isn't it yeah and i think it's there's a nice sentiment about sisterhood i think as well yes absolutely i think joe at the end sacrifices a lot well not a lot but i think she definitely sacrifices some path that she thought she could have to happiness with Laurie for her sister's happiness because she writes the letter doesn't she and then she's like yes yes so so just talking through the plot again um so you got seven years in the future seven years ago the seven years ago stuff is basically all them just having a nice time uh the girls getting to know uh Timothy Chalamet Laurie their neighbour um and the uh rich family across the way and also the poor family across the way um which you know those those two being uh basically the only two families they talk to that does it feels a little simplistic in terms of like here's the rich family here's the poor family it feels a bit you know little boy that lived down lane a bit sort of fairy tale bit kids book but it's fine it was a book that was written in the 1800s whatever you get a point across and it works um and the seven years later is all these sisters come back to their childhood home because beth the youngest sister is really ill and gets sicker and sicker and sicker and dies um (laughs) not good uh yeah um and mixed in with all this is, yeah, Saoirse Ronan's character um, sort of... She she does, I think, love kind of whether she thinks she knows that or not. She does love Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet loves her. Um, and sort of the 
the seven years ago plot ends almost with uh, him proposing to her and her saying no because she doesn't think she ever wants to get married because yeah. she values her independence far too much. Um, Which seven is a shame, years later, I think he would have supported her independence. Yes, possibly, but I... Maybe not. Maybe, maybe. not. I don't know. No, I, I think he would have had... Especially this version of the, of the character. I don't know how he is in the yeah, books. Yeah, I think he just but, wanted to be a fan of that is, like, unconditional, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. I think it was more about the the principle of the matter and her sort of... Well, as definitely as a fictional character, setting an example, but, you know, setting the example for herself more than anyone. Um, and seven years later, uh, Laurie and Florence Pugh's character, that sister, um, and her name is Amy. Amy, Amy um, sees Laurie again, um, and they sort of fall in love, or kind of. It's it's almost like he's settling for her. I think yeah. they both come to the realisation that this is the best we should and could both do and we will be happy together we just both <laughs> know the elephant in the room that you already proposed to my sister once <laughs> ruh, ruh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah because she has always been in love with him yeah. and I think that's very cleverly sort of shown because I don't think it's ever told until he initially proposes and she she says I will not be I've been second best to my sister Joe all my life I will not be second best to her in marriage and you know accept the man that she rejected uh, but then she does that anyway <laughs> um, yeah it's just it's quite sort of subtle it's obvious so is it subtle but it's, it's just well done it's well acted I think is what it is I think Florence Pugh does an amazing job at showing that sort of restraint you know loving someone you know you shouldn't because they clearly love someone else and it's yeah, amazingly performed and it acted. is you really feel it don't you yeah 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 You're like christ and like you want to hate laurie's character for being mean to her by even suggesting that make her get married after he had literally just proposed pretty much to me, yeah. but you can't. It just sucks. It's very like like Harry Messali. It's kind of human in that way. It's messy and yes, um, unpredictable. Yeah, and it's probably Absolutely. even harder in the eighteenth century where you could do nothing without society saying something about it. So yeah, yeah, because when Timothy Chalamet proposes to Florence Pugh, she's already got this other guy. Um who is is about to propose to her that she's been courting i suppose and i thought it was very interesting how she talks about marriage as as a potential marriage with that guy mm. um cuz cuz Laurie says to her do you love him and she essentially says no but that's not what's important it's it's stability it's economy it's yeah, you know, it's 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 financial, not independence. 
financial dependence, but it's what she needs because otherwise she'll be living like Emma Watson. Um, I mean, remember, you could get sent to an asylum asylum as a woman for being unmarried, I think, at one stage. Mm, so. mm. And I know, <laughs> I know she does go back on it um, and marry Timothy Chalamet, who, <laughs> coincidentally, is also super rich. Uh, so, <laughs> whoop-de-doo. Um, but I think it was interesting how the way she spoke about it, she was sort of aware that that was the situation, that the only way a woman is going to have any sort of money is by marrying a rich husband and because she was aware of that and because she knows she's not fooling herself that this is for love this is for money she was sort of using that fact and that circumstance to empower herself I guess financially and just give herself a better life because if she if you can't find love which she was struggling to find love because she probably would marry for love if it ever came along because that's what she does um but if you can't then just find the nearest rich guy who'll have you and and go with him and then she could probably happily spend the rest of her life just painting in a studio paid for by her husband because yeah. Meryl Streep's not going to be around for long enough so I thought it was quite interesting that you know she is obviously as a woman back then on the back foot and doesn't have as much independence, but she was empowering herself in the way that she could. Yeah, she found a way time. to get independence, didn't she? Yes. That's by marrying someone filthy rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you go, girl. Which, exactly, because I think it was very much that sort of spirit that she had. It was, if this is a situation I'm in, then this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of remind me a little bit of um, a, a more wholesome, the sisters, because although the sisters, like all sisters, have disagreements and rivalry and jealousy, Bennett sisters, around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier. Who are the Bennett sisters? Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice, okay. Yeah, because you've got kind of similar dynamics there with um, Jane, who's the pretty one, who is like, oh tempted by marriage and is all excited for it and then you've got Lizzie who's like well let's be honest you got to marry for money and I'm not going to do that a bit of a joke Jane is mm. like we have to marry for money because we have to sort this house out because we're going to be homeless <laughs> and Lizzie's like Lizzie gets a proposal which would let them keep the house and she's like no thank you and everyone's like great you've literally just assured that we're going to be homeless and she's like I don't care I'm doing <laughs> me so and then there's also one that's like very pragmatic as well. Lizzie's a little bit hot-headed, but yeah, it reminds me a bit of those sisters. So I guess 18th, late 18th, early 19th century literature is slightly more feminist than thought, hey? But yeah, I think it was because it was at the, at the, the forefront of the conversation, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, we yeah. want the vote. <laughs> Gimme. So yeah, you got Florence Pugh's character. Yeah. Um, gallivanting about London with Meryl Streep who's her aunt or great aunt or something and I had to google um, Meryl Streep 2021 just to make sure she didn't actually look that awful in real life <laughs> and that they sort of you know semi aged her up a little bit because when I saw her in this film I got a bit worried like oh my god she's so old like I know she's she's kind of old and she's yeah, got and she's... older and she's getting older. She's in like her seventies, I think. Um still hot though. But, but yeah. Smell straight. Um Yeah. 
It's just I just need to make sure she doesn't look like that in real life. Like this just pale, like <laughs> red-eyed little uh, gremlin woman. Because um, that would upset me. Good night. No, she looks fine. She looks really good still, um, which is good. Because uh, it scared me. It scared me when she came on screen. I thought, oh my god, how much longer do we have, you Meryl? Meryl, are you okay? <laughs> Can you take this job? No, it's just makeup. Um, which they won an Oscar for. Oh, makeup in clothes. Imagine yeah. it. Yeah. What? What are they thinking of that? <laughs> this Oscar That's goes to exactly Meryl Streep's worrying face. I thought, hmm, people are going to get pissed if Greta doesn't get nominated for anything. What should we give them? Give them the clothes. The seven years ago and the seven years later yeah. narrative sort of line up, um, you know, in terms of theme, because that's a very well written story um yes and uh beth the youngest sister is ill with scarlet fever in the past and she is ill with i don't know if they say it's scarlet fever in the future as well i think it is supposed to be the same thing um in the future as well and you you have these two scenes that play back to back which I think might be my favourite part of the film um, in the past seven years ago where it's you know the colour palette is much brighter and more optimistic uh, Sir Sharonan is sleeping by Beth's bed and she wakes up and the bed's empty and she, she thinks the worst she thinks oh my god she died <laughs> and <laughs> I guess was taken out by the coroner or whatever or my mother or someone um and she rushes downstairs um and there's such quick cuts and it's like you know slam bat bat and it's like a close up of her hand on the banister and like her foot's going blah, 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 down the stairs and everything um yeah. and she rounds the corner and it cuts bam and she sees at the breakfast table is her mum and Beth. So that one, that previous in the past scene is is yes. is happier. Um, it's a lot more panicked. Like it's or, it's, or I haven't started to compare it. It's, but panicked, it's very and then panicked. There's like this nice sense of relief. Yes, like it's so fast paced. You can feel like the <gasps> the, the the anxiety. Like oh my god, my sister's dead. Ah! It's it's that's that's the theme of that scene. And then the next scene seven years yeah. later is the same thing Beth's really sick again um she uh Joe Saoirse Ronan's character is sleeping by her bed and she wakes up and the bed's empty um but this time you've got this uh really cold colour palette future or present or whatever stuff um has this really cold colour palette and yeah. it's so much slower like, it's the same thing. She wakes up and Beth's not there. Um, she sees that she's not there. And instead of panic, it's just, like, sorrow, loss. Like, she already knows it's mm. the worst this time. And it's the same shots or, or it's the same action, her going down the same stairs. And, and you don't get, you know, the sort of Sam Raimi, Edgar Wright quick cuts, foot, hands, slide-bound banister. It's, like, just this slow downstairs of her just looking devastated and she rounds the corner and she looks at the breakfast table 
and whereas in the past and it cut right to Laura Dern and Beth sitting at the breakfast table it, it lingers on Saoirse Ronan for, for it feels like like years um, before mm. it gives you that reverse shot of her not at the breakfast table because Beth's dead um, but you know just just you know from the pacing of the scene and how it's played out and the fact that you just saw this and you know obviously it would be a weird film and a weird choice if the second thing happened again because you're like what the heck I just saw this so you know what's going to happen so it just holds that shot on Saoirse Ronan's face as she sees as you see her see her sister's dead and then it finally cuts to what she sees and it's Laura Dern at the breakfast table just in tears oh hits so hard mm. and her performance really in that's amazing scene. isn't it it's like yeah it's not like you know old Gary Oldman and Leon where it's over the top screaming crying the house out and stuff it's just an uncomfortable silence in that moment isn't there yeah yeah this lingers too too much it's too uncomfortable and yeah you can just see the expressions that tell you everything you need to know it's a, it's a lovely piece of um, filmmaking there isn't it really yeah by everyone. Really good. Really good. Really creative director. way to do it. So, mm-hmm. Beth dies, and that's sort of... Yeah. It's not the end of the film. There's a little bit more that happens, and it's probably the most interesting part of the film, is when they're all at home, um, this guy that Joe knows from New York turns up at the house... Um, and he's very clearly into her and she you know in in her kind of way has feelings for him but I mean she she turned down Timothy Chalamet she's made it very clear that she's not looking for companionship in life or at least not at this point in her life she's still not about that Um, and he leaves and the whole family is like, what are you doing? Why did you let him leave? He's clearly in love with you and you're clearly in love with him. What? And then it does something really interesting uh, that through some very brief digging, I, I could be wrong, uh, but this isn't in the actual book. This is unique. The ending of this film is unique to uh, this adaptation of this book. Or, yeah, this this version of the film. Because um, Joe has been writing a book this time throughout the film, which is Little Women. She's writing the book that the film we're watching is based on. And it cuts to her sort of pitching this book to the guy who is going to publish it for her and he says it's a great book but he's very particular he says it at the start of the film as well um every female as i suppose of age in your book needs to be either dead or married by the end of the book and he won't publish it without that and she says, okay, then she will marry that guy. And then it cuts back to what was our present day 
And then she's like, okay, I'll go run after him. And she, she runs after him, um, finds him at the station, and they kiss. And it's a happy ending. And and now, this present, because this, this is the seven years later plot line, is shot with this golden, golden glow that all the stuff from the past has been in. And now the present of her pitching the book and making this deal with the publisher that is now the grey that all of the present stuff has been shot in and Meryl Streep's character dies uh, she inherits the house and she turns it into a school uh, and it's her her new husband uh, who she met in New York and all of her sisters have jobs teaching there Um and everyone's happy and it's got all the, the golden blah 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 and then it cuts back to the grey current present of her publishing this book and she's not married so it's it's like everything we've seen that was in this golden light was actually this book within the film and everything that was grey was real mm. so the film has two endings yeah. And it's really interesting that the the golden happy ending that's in the book, in the film, is the real ending of the book. And Greta Gerwig said that this story of her wanting to end it with Joe remaining unmarried apparently is what uh, the author Louisa May Alcott wanted, but, you know, wouldn't, wasn't allowed because women had to be either married or dead by the end of the book. That's a really like touching way to tribute the author, isn't it? And the struggles yes. that the author went through. Exactly. I like that. That that has made me like the film tenfold, knowing that it. I thought, yeah. It, it does was... the book justice and the author behind the book. It's a lovely combination of the two meeting. Artist yeah. meets the art. Um. So you have these two endings. One, which is an ending imposed by the publisher. Aye. Where. Everyone's happy and smiling. Mm. And one which is real, or... I mean, it is real in terms of... Within the film, this is what happened to the character. And... Sorry, if you can hear the rain, it's really raining here, but we're recording today, so there'll be rain in the background. Sorry about Um, that. uh, So... it's real in terms of this is what actually happens to the character and it's not the story within the story. It is a story, but this is also more in line what happened with what happened to uh, the actual author who did never marry, um, didn't have any children because she didn't have any sort of desire for that. She was an independent woman through and through and through. And I don't think, you know, quite interestingly, I don't think that this film is saying that either ending is worse than the other. Sure, the real ending is shot with this cold, harsh grey um, colour palette, but she has her independence, she has what she wanted, and she does look at the book as it's being printed with this sort of half, sort of melancholic smile, and sort of think the ending that's in that book could have been my ending in real life, but that's not what I think I want. And then in the book, 
is happy and jolly and yay and they're all living in this big house with loads of kids that they're all teaching but obviously that's fiction it's double fiction it's fiction within fiction but I don't think the, the film is saying that either one is worse than the other because no. ultimately feminism is having your right to choose so I think that this film isn't saying to be a true feminist you need to abstain from men or to be a true feminist you need to open a school and marry a husband and give all your family jobs it's saying you can do what you want and I think that that's a pretty beautiful way of of showing that with this film yeah you also like you don't have to be gay or be a woman in order to be a feminist a feminist is anyone who agrees in equality so I like that message of you don't have to marry a man to be a feminist because that would make a lot of straight allies uh, Mm. (laughs) very worried so (laughs) it's quite funny really that at the start of the film the publisher says that everyone in your stories all the women in your stories need to be married or dead by the end and her three sisters are either married or dead by the end of the plot and she you know in her sort of Schrodinger's way is not married she is married in the story blah 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 but in the real thing she is not married so she's sort of breaking this cycle and you know making waves for women which I thought was a good little show and a good little indicator right at the start of the film yeah I agree and you know it's 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 nice text I think a lot of women would or a lot of like new gen feminists would say it's not entirely feminist because everyone gets married and everything but mm. that's choice well, she doesn't it? just because you believe in equality doesn't mean you're not entitled to love someone and get married yeah. to them right yeah I think that's the point of the sort of dual endings that it has because she doesn't and yeah. the dual endings highlights the fact that she doesn't that she is separating herself from her fiction and going her own way and it's nice to see especially like a, a period piece to see like the author it, it's, it's kind of sad I think really in a way because you see the the reality that she wrote for herself because she had to yeah. but without the film telling us I mean I didn't know and I, I certainly don't know much about the author at all I wouldn't have known that she had chosen the original path that she wanted to lead yeah so something that isn't really explained or explored yeah uh, that I thought was quite interesting is that at the start of the film when she's giving her um, short stories to the newspapers to print yeah um she's like my friend wrote this uh she's sort of like it's some sort of pseudonym or something or like a like she's distancing herself from the work as if it's not hers and mm. initially when she starts saying that my friend wrote this for her, I, I figured it's because she's a woman and she's passing this off as you know some bloke's work but she refers to her friend that is apparently the author as a she so it's not quite that it's something else and 
when we never get to to sort of see or, or read any of what she's written ourselves but um it, it sounds like i think it's described at one point as you know like people murdering each other and gore and stabby stabby and she says it's what the people want um so i thought it was quite interesting that she's distancing herself from it um and i thought it could sort of potentially be because she's she's for one just trying to sort of distance herself from any sort of criticism that she might get um but also her mate who she ends up marrying in the in the in the in the book in the book um says it's not shakespeare and it really sort of gets to her i think she's sort of conscious that what she's writing is sort of pulpy and and sort of like almost trash but i think that just goes to show even further that she's a she's a rule breaker she's a convention breaker and everything and the fact that she has used a pseudonym uh or she's trying to distance herself from it she knows that she's doing this and she's doing it on purpose but she just knows there's gonna be pushback i thought it was a quite nice way of sort of subtly showing that she isn't just breaking conventions in the singular way that she uh doesn't want to marry she's breaking conventions in her chosen creative media which for her is writing in more ways than one more ways than just trying to write a book where she doesn't get married at the end necessarily go so far as though to say that she knows she's writing trash because remember a lot of these books that are written are predominantly for we're talking about the 18th century so they'll be for upper class women who are getting prepared to get married and a lot of these women were very intelligent they were taught to read they were taught to write and they would speak french and they would spend all day reading because that's all that they were allowed to do um and you look at the novelizations of jane austen and um the Bronte sisters, Charlotte Bronte, Emily Bronte, and they have these, I guess, kind of like whirlwind romances of women finding their independence and mm. also a man who somewhat slights, smites them, but also supports that independence or that's what attracts them. And this is like a very big genre for around this time, you know. Uh, women were reading this, and sometimes those stories were banned from a house because... Yeah. You know, giving them ideas. Or, you know, Emily Bronte, I think, or Charlotte Bronte, one of them, were went under a pseudonym of a man because they weren't yeah. allowed to publish their work. So or the third Bronte. The third Bronte. <laughs> Wasn't there three? I think there were three, but Yeah. Yeah. But the third one like only did one book, didn't they? Yeah. I know there's those Brontes. But there's this kind of like uh I mean, even in Pride and Prejudice everyone ends up married i think that's important to the story the other sisters there's no hope in hell for mary i mean christ uh she's a boring lass um yeah very smartly um smartly and also in like jane jane Eyre, which is one of the bronte sisters i think charlotte bronte uh she falls in love with the wrong person all independent one or uh wuthering heights no one gets together everyone bloody dies yeah so no i yeah, it's, I didn't mean that she thinks it's trash. 
no, no. She's just aware that scholars will think it's trash, like this person that she ends up marrying. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And, like, what I guess I'm saying is it's... It's really silly that it was considered trash because it sold so many copies and, I mean, they still exist today. And it was kind of like... I think it's not necessarily that it was trash. I think they more think it's like provocative because the the women yeah. essentially lead the narrative, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which God forbid a woman has narrative control over a story. So no. or refuses them hand of a rich guy or whatever reasons therefore because I mean uh Lizzie was rejecting rich people before this, I think I think seventeen seventeen hundreds Prime Prejudice was written. But yeah, I... Lizzie was built differently. Liz Lizzie was built differently. Still got married though. Still <laughs> went for that dollar. Uh, <laughs> like Florence Blue. But yeah, she. I think she's aware that a lot of the the men in her life aren't going to approve of her career choice, and when she gets married, the men will have predominant control over her. So yeah, I don't. She she might have genuinely have wanted to get married, but didn't want to relinquish that control that she has over her life because. If she did get married, that control would be gone. Remember, there's no writing when you have kids. You'd die when you have kids <laughs> in the 1800s, you know. No writing yeah. then. Well, there was there was a line um, that sort of shows that mindset that she has, which I thought was probably the biggest laugh from me <laughs> in the film. And I don't know if it was really intended for a laugh. Um, but she, it's when uh, Emma Watson is going to marry this guy. Um, she says to her, "You'll be bored of him in two years, and we'll be interesting forever." <laughs> and that sounds exactly like something like Jeremy would say in Peep Show. <laughs> yeah, it does. It just really made me laugh. That You'll be bored of him in two years, and we'll be interesting forever. It's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. My final point. Uh, is less of a point, more of an anecdote. Um, do you watch Friends? Yeah, I used to love it. Do you remember the episode where Joey's reading The Shining and uh, Rachel sort of talks to him about it and he says it's his favourite book. I've read it like 20 times. And she says, God, I think the only book I've read that many times is Little Women. So they swap and Joey reads Little Women and Rachel reads The Shining. Um and a little little bit of a, a trivia uh, here. At one point, Joey says, "So, how little are these women?" Um, and you can hear, you, you know, the the audience laughter, and you can just hear someone really laughing at that joke. And that's Philip Schofield. Um, believe it or not, he was there. Uh, but anyway, um, this is a. I got a little transcript from this there's a bit so i, I this is this, this watching this film was my first exposure to little women i was aware of it through friends and i think really only through friends which is probably a bad thing uh but i just knew of little women um and there's a conversation where joey says oh like oh this this book's great um and and he says uh, Amy just burned Joe's manuscript. I don't see how he could ever forgive her. And Ross says, uh, Joe's a girl, it's short for Josephine. And Joe says, 
but Joe's got a crush on Laurie. Oh, you mean it's like a girl-girl thing? And then Charlotte says, no, actually, Laurie's a boy. And Joe says, no wonder Rachel had to read this book so many times. Uh, pretty funny joke. And I remembered that joke going into this film, but I only remembered half of this joke. And I was waiting for the lesbian plot in this film to start throughout the whole thing. <laughs> I only remembered the half where Joey got a bloke wrong or, or a woman wrong for a bloke and... Ugh. So I immediately watched the Friends episode to see why did I think there was going to be some lesbian plot in this. I was like, which one of these three sisters is going to be a lesbian? <laughs> no. But then, and then I googled Little Women Lesbian and a lot of people think that um, Joe is, is a lesbian or at least asexual or something. Yeah. Which is quite interesting in itself. Uh, but that's a, a, a whole thing that no, I'm definitely not qualified to talk about or even occur to me. Um yeah. But yeah, I thought that was funny. So I had to go and watch the Friends episode again to see why it gave me the idea that this was going to happen. Because I forgot the other half of the conversation. That's, sometimes, Fred comes out with these stories, and you think, well, from anyone else, you'd think this bloke is off his trotters. <laughs> but from Fred, you're just like, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> see you next week for a different one. Uh uh, anyway, yeah, see you next week for a different one. I'm going to yeah. write this. Seven. Seven. Pushing an eight, but seven out of ten. Yeah, I'll do the same. I, I yeah. actually don't typically like historical pieces. But even though it's not like history, it's like, you know, historical drama. Yeah, probably me neither, if um, I'm honest. Not that but interested in them, but I enjoyed it. It's great. Yeah. It is so pretty. That's all I say. So pretty. So pretty. Well acted. Yeah. I went in just, with just low expectations, really, came out with high. Really well, well made piece of media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But thank you for listening. Thank this. you. Uh, it's a pretty long episode. Probably cut this down a little bit. Yeah, I can uh, tell you what's coming. Thanks for listening. Um, goodbye. See you next week. Goodbye.